One of the disadvantages of email is you get it, and if you don't do it, um, then it goes to the bottom of your pile. Um, we've uh, had, lots of us have had uh, questionnaires about home group um, pinging across in our email over the last few days. It'd be great if you could get a, a reply back in the next two or three days so that everyone's opinion can be taken in. So if you've uh, had a home group questionnaire and you'd like to reply, please do. If you haven't had one and you're expecting one, uh, please have a word with Mark. But now we turn to prayer. Let's come to the great God in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we've been singing about how you are, how you speak and darkness trembles. And Lord, there's so much darkness in the world. And we pray that you will speak. Oh Lord, you know the darkness that that we struggle with. You know what stops us from worshipping you and following you as we should do if we know you. Oh Lord, we, we know that we have bad instincts and Lord, we pray that you'll help us to put them off like we were reminded last week and to put on those, those things that mark out your children, the things that show that we love you. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll help us encourage each other to love you, to know you. But Lord, we need your Holy Spirit's power. We need more than just hearing what you're talking to us about through your word. But, but we, we, need, we need your Holy Spirit's power to take it and make us like Jesus. Oh Lord, we do thank you that you are able to work and you're able to work great and mighty things. Oh Lord, we were hearing this morning in the children's talk how one man, William Tyndale, brought your word into English and how that transformed our country. And Lord, we can think of other people that that you've used whether in the Bible or since Bible times, to make great changes. And Lord, we would pray that in our hearts, you would help us to be saying, here I am, Lord, send me. What is it that you want? Oh Lord, we pray that you will give us ears to hear your voice and a heart that wants to do what you want us to do. Oh Lord, we have friends, we have family members who are in darkness who are without you and without any hope in this world. Oh Lord, we pray that you will show them your light. We pray that as we come up to Christmas, the the good news of Jesus will be something that reaches into the hearts of many people that we love. And we pray that we will love more people so we tell them about you, whether that's people that we meet casually, or people that we know through our relationships at work or at school. Oh Lord, we pray that you will give us the right words to point to your great goodness and your amazing power. And Lord, you know how hard it is for us when we're feeling weak. You know how hard it is for us when we're feeling sad and despondent and in pain And for some of us, our our minds are troubling us and we're feeling that we are worthless and useless. And whatever anyone says cannot help. But Lord, we thank you that you are the God who comforts those who are downcast. We pray, Lord, that you will be a great comforter to each one of us. And we pray that you'll give us a real sight of you and your love that gets us motivated to hear your voice and to do what you want. Oh Lord, we thank you for John. We pray that you will help him as he brings your word to us now. Help him to explain it clearly. Help him to get the meaning that you would have us get from your truth. And Lord, we pray that our lives will be changed so we bring glory to you. Amen. So we're going to sing again about the God who is king and the God who protects us.
So let's stand and sing when the music starts. So we're going to be looking at uh, Revelation again, and John's going to be preaching to us from Revelation chapter 3, but we're going to start off by reading a few verses in Revelation chapter 21. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to follow on. I'm going to be starting at the beginning of Revelation 21. This is the vision that John who'd been put put as a prisoner on an island, isolated, and this is how God appeared to him as part of this revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea, sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. 
But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulphur, which is the second death. So great encouragement or great warning. And then we come back to Revelation chapter 3. And we start reading at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the keys of David, who opens, and no one is able to shut, who shuts, and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogues of of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we're looking forward to John speaking from that second passage after we've sung our next two songs, which focus on the hope that Christians have and the fact that our God is on the throne. So let's stand and sing these next two songs.
right, it's five down and it's two to go in our series on the seven letters in the book of Revelation given by Christ through John to pass on to the churches. And I don't know about you, but I've found it a good series. I've, I've found it really helpful to be going through these different slices of church life and to get the perspective from this book that has come to us. And I just thought it would be good to to recap a little bit. So we've got a game of pairs really just to start off with to remember the previous five. So there are the five we've done so far down the left and jumbled up on the right is a sort of title for them. Some are a bit easier than others. Some are distinctive, some are a little bit closer. So, uh, well, any of them. Anyone uh, give us a a church and what the, the title of it is? Let's start with Ephesus, and Ephesus would be a loveless church. Okay, Ephesus was the a loveless church. Smyrna, a suffering church. Pergamum, what would we call that? A mixed church, thank you. Thyatira, two left to choose from. Well, let's do the last one. That might be easier. Mark was preaching on this. He called it something different last week. Sardis was. A sleepy church. So that leaves Thyatira being a top one, a search church. Okay, that's just to help us remember some of the things we've looked at. And uh, today's one that we come to, the, the sixth church, the letter to the sixth church is uh, distinctive again. And um, oh, it's done me good uh, looking at it this week. I um, was uh, pleased to be able to pass it on to you this evening and hoping it will do good to you as well and uh, we've called it um, a weak church a weak church we'll go to that in a minute because I don't want to give you the first point a weak church and uh, many churches do feel weak they feel weak especially drawing from verse 8 of chapter 3 where Jesus says of this church, I know that you have but little power. I know you have but little power. Little strength, some translations. A weak church. In what ways was it a weak church? What ways can we feel a weak church? Other churches feel a weak church. Well, it obviously didn't feel it was a big church. Didn't feel it was a, a landmark in Philadelphia. Didn't feel as though it left a big footprint on the town or city. Perhaps it compared to other churches. And we might do that. And didn't have the funds of other churches. Didn't have the numbers attending. What a small church. Perhaps it didn't have the workers, the staff. We might think of that today. Some churches, big churches, massive staff, um, numbers that they're able to mobilise. Didn't have impressive facilities, perhaps. Didn't have any big names. Didn't have gifted people, it seemed hearing about a, an evangelical gospel church in America. They've got over 150 prof- professional musicians in the congregation. Now, of other UK churches that we're sort of linked with to some degree, and they've got three or four um, music teams of, of sort of highly proficient um, people that can play uh, almost too many to get in. Not everyone who would like to be able to serve by playing can, can, can play. And... Uh, We don't feel as though we're like that. And other churches don't feel they're like that. 
perhaps uh, it felt weak compared to the society around. Uh, the government was able to order them about. Um, the trade guilds that they had at the time kept them out and said that the Christians couldn't come and they couldn't trade. Uh, the laws of the land were against them and uh, they couldn't change the laws of the land even though they were against their beliefs and making life difficult for them. They had no media outlets. They weren't in charge of the ways of getting the message out to the, to, to the, to the masses. No, no, the microphone was held by others. And so they feel they're a church of no strength. Uh, insignificant. Small. Who's heard of them? Is there a church in Philadelphia? Or is there? I didn't know there was a church in Philadelphia. And we can feel... Uh, small and weak compared to uh, many other churches. Uh, there's a good number of other churches that would feel quite small compared to us. There's many churches that feel somewhat marginalised by society and off-piste. In some ways this church was similar to Smyrna that was a poor church, poor financially, and this one is uh, poor in strength. And it's similar to, church, to Smyrna Church in another way, in that uh, Jesus only has positive things to say about Philadelphia, and he only had positive things to say about Smyrna. That doesn't mean they were a sinless church, but it means that there was no major defect that Jesus felt he needed to draw their attention to. Oh, and I think that's encouraging for, for small, faithful churches. And there are, there are many churches which are much smaller than, than ours. We? I mean, we're, by UK standards, perhaps we're, we're a medium-sized church, maybe. Um, you know, compared to other countries, we're a com- comparatively small church. But there's many in the UK that would be a lot smaller. But it's encouraging here that, that Jesus is mindful of the of the small church. And he has only positive things to say about this small church. Isn't that encouraging? I think that's encouraging. It's sad if we're only taken up with big churches. There's a book on my shelf by John Benton, The Big Picture for Small Churches, made me think of that book. It's good to be concerned for the small churches, not just those with a big reputation. Well, we're going to look at five things about this weak church from this letter. I'm going to start off with this. The weak church's saviour. The weak church's saviour. Each time these letters, Christ dictated to be passed on to the churches, each time they point to Jesus And they give an aspect of truth aside to the character and person of Jesus, usually which is particularly timely and helpful for the church in its situation. And Philadelphia is no different. Here three things are said to them about Christ. Verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Um, This little church was being hounded by a Jewish group that were telling lies. Uh, They were doing Satan's work. You can see that in verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. So they were experiencing false things said about them. And they were under the cosh of these things. And so then, isn't it encouraging for them to be reminded of Jesus as the true one, pointed upwards, above their difficulties. In a culture where people are being sold lies 
in a culture which uh, doesn't believe the wisdom of God's word and which uh, breaks our hearts sometimes, troubles us deeply, makes us sigh and cry like it did in Ezekiel. Isn't it good to look up to the one who is the true one? A little church feels that it has uh, no power and authority. Uh, perhaps they were being barred from certain activities or privileges. Uh, you, can't, you can't be in the synagogue. Some of them were Jewish Christians, but you can't be in the synagogue because you are a Christian. You stay out. You, you can't have a job because you go to that church. You can't do business in our town square because you won't worship the idols that we worship. You could envisage it's discouraging and, and difficult. It may well be that things develop like that increasingly. I think in our society, you can't hold a, you can't hold a meeting in our, our, our community hall because you won't sign our equality statement. Your church can't feature on our social media platform because you're not inclusive enough. Your church can't be on Facebook anymore because we judge that your church speaks hate speech. And when we feel just no authority and no power and nothing, how comforting to be reminded of where the real authority lies. The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Real authority, opening and shutting, access, gatekeeping, real authority resides with Jesus. In fulfilment of what was said of the Messiah in Isaiah 22, 22, where it says, And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Jesus has highest authority, and he controls what is most important, whether we go into the presence of God or not, whether we're in the kingdom of God or not. Where would you rather be? In the marketplace or at the throne of grace. If you're kept out of one, which would you like to be kept out of? Jesus has the keys. He is the saviour. He is the way into God's presence. And so the weak church is reminded of its saviour, who is holy and true and has authority and gives access where it really matters into the presence of God. Maybe you're, you're excluded from your friendship group. But you have access where it really matters because you know Jesus. The weak church's saviour, the weak church's opening. The open door thing carries on as we go a little bit further into this letter. As Jesus then goes on to describe their situation. And uh, it may be related to what's just been told, but I think it develops a further thought. I know your works, verse 8. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Now that could be just reminding them of the open door into God's presence, the open door into understanding more of God in his ways. 4 verse 1, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. It could be that, but in general in the Bible, open doors refer to opportunities, gospel opportunities. So you come to later on in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 9 and it says this, For a wide door of effective work has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. Or, in the new year, we get to in Colossians, hopefully, verse 3 of chapter 4. And at the same time, pray for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So, they may be, they might be limited 
But there were some gospel opportunities that God had put and would put their way. Uh, it was specific for that church. See, God's not only interested in the big churches, in the mega churches, in the city churches. There was this little church, a church of no power, and yet it had open doors that God had particularly put in its way. Well, there was a lot they couldn't do. They just didn't have the resources. But God had a work for them to do. Perhaps it was among some of these Jews in the what's called the synagogue of Satan. Because uh, you get the impression, or some understanding, that actually some of them are going to be converted. Verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Perhaps there was going to be some conversion amongst the, the Jews who are opposing them at the minute. That would, maybe that was the open door. The churches can't do everything. We do, we really need to realise this. How about you? If you go away on a Christian conference, very encouraging in many ways, but you can also come back feeling quite down. You think, well, this church does that, and this church does that, and they do that, and they've got this sort of ministry, and we don't do any of that. Well, the Lord knows our situation. The Lord knows what resources we have. The Lord knows what it's right for us to do at Forest Fold Crowborough. There are opportunities which are right for us. We may not have the resources to do all that other churches do, but there are things that it's right for us to do. And we should look for them. We should pray for them. We should make the most of them. We felt it right over the years to distribute calendars throughout most of the town. It's been adored. The Lord has opened for us. And Mark is able to be in two or three schools at this present time. Did I read that 250 New Testaments were handed out at the uh, street fair, was it called Christmas Cracker or whatever it's called, on Friday in Crowborough? 120 ladies coming to the uh, wreath-making evenings and going to hear a gospel message. There are opportunities that God has put our way. We, we don't do everything, we can't do everything, but let us look for, pray for and seize those open doors currently with us and those that God might open for us. I've set before you an open door and no one's going to shut it. You're weak, but this is my will for you. Go forward through it. Maybe specific for you as well, individually. You feel pretty hopeless. You, 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 do, you feel as though you can't do what everything else that everyone else is doing. You're not involved with the tech team making sure that the message goes out live stream. You can't do that. You're not in some teaching role up front. But you've got good friendships. You're a caring person. You're able to get alongside some people. You host YPTs and try to encourage young people by doing so. You're down here early Sunday morning or maybe late Saturday evening setting up the Sunday school so that the gospel goes out to the children. The weak church is opening. The opportunities given by God. There's a lot in there, in this little letter, isn't there, when you stop and think it through. Let's have this one. The weak church's faithfulness. Is it a mixture of 8 and 10 and 11? Um, I read a book which deeply impressed me about mm, 20, maybe even 25 years ago now. And uh, I've been reading it again with a friend this year. It's been helpful again. Um, I've, got, I've got it here because I'm going to read a little bit in a minute. It's called, I don't know if you'll be impressed by the title. I think you will if you think about it. Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome. Um, see, so often success is seen in big numbers. And when you be thoughtful here, we don't despise big numbers. In Acts, there were big numbers converted and that was a reason for joy. We want growth, we pray for growth, we rejoice in growth. I quoted some numbers this evening, encouraging that we have these opportunities. So we don't despise numbers, but they're not the greatest things. Um, the, the author, or 
he and his wife, Kent and Barbara Hughes, Hughes, they're Americans who wrote this book, and uh, he was converted, and he trained in ministry, and he'd been ministering in, in different places, and then he'd been a, a few years in a, a church uh, plant, and he gets to a bit of a crunch point in the way in which things are going, not quite as he hoped. Let me read just a couple of paragraphs, few paragraphs. From the start, we had everything going for us. We had the prayers and predictions of our friends who believed a vast, growing work was inevitable. We had the sophisticated insights of the science of church growth. We had a superb nucleus of believers. And we had me, a young pastor with a good track record, who was entering into his prime. We expected to grow. But to our astonishment and resounding disappointment, we didn't. In fact, after considerable time, An incredible labour, we had fewer regular attenders than during the first six months. Our church was shrinking and the prospects looked bad, really bad. So as I walked up my driveway on this hot summer day in 1975, after more than a decade of ministry, I began to lose my equilibrium. My long-established world of bright prospects and success had melted around me. I was in the darkest, deepest depression of my life. Seeing Barbara's smile through the screen, through the hatchway I think it was, I brightened as always and for the next few hours I was preoccupied with my happy young family. But after dinner, when the children were in bed, despondency crept over me once again. Except for my wife, it seemed that no one cared. And on this hot summer's midnight of soul, I was ready to talk. There's quite a lot more in the book about him. But this is where it led them. The discouragement of Phil was though a weak, shrinking church led them to examine what the Bible says about success. And they went through the biblical teaching about what in the Lord's mind and eyes was success and the The first one that they come up with, we've got a number that go through the book, but we're just stopping at the first one. The first one is faithfulness. Success, is it numbers? No, not necessarily. Success is faithfulness. And this little church at Philadelphia was like that. You see in verse 8. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word. And have not denied my name. Verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. You see it twice. Kept my word. Kept my word. There's a lot of things they can't do. They're of little power. They're of weak but this is something that they can, with God's help, do and have done. Keep my word. There's a lot of things we can't do, won't be able to do, size we are. But this is something which we can get hold of and seek to carry on doing. Keep the word of God. Keep the word of God in our beliefs. Make sure that what we believe is Bible-based. Keep the word of God in our practice, seeking to be biblical and moulded by the truth in all the things that we do. It's not easy always. There's a holding fast. And that's what they had done and that's what they needed to carry on doing. In verse 11, I am coming soon, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Sometimes we need to grip tight onto the truth. We need to hold on to it through the bumps, through the difficulties. We might not be a successful church. We may not make the programs and the Christian press. But with God's help, we can seek to be faithful. And Christ will notice that. Because he knows. And he knows when believers and churches keep his word. The weak church's faithfulness. Well, they needed to do some keeping. 
but that's not the, the whole of the story. We come on to the fourth aspect. The weak church's keeping of a different sort. So the, the journey had been choppy, really, for this church at Philadelphia, and it would be still. Um, there was going to be a, a time of widespread difficulty, and uh, this church wasn't going to be uh, spared and exempt from experiencing that. Jesus tells them about it in verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from or through the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. So there was going to be a time of real problem, difficulty, pressure for the churches. How would they cope? They're already weak. Surely this is kicking them when they're down. The Lord would keep them. This weak church, flimsy church, the Lord would keep them. I will keep you through the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. Peter could say to those who he was writing to, who were going through a pretty rough time, 1 Peter 1 and verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded or kept through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, we have many uncertainties, don't we, about the future. What will happen if it becomes illegal to teach part of the Bible? That doesn't look such a impossibility that it might have looked 15, 20 years ago. What will happen if it becomes illegal in this country to teach part of the Bible? What happens if it becomes illegal to pray with people through certain struggles which has been proposed? Well, well, how do we cope if society becomes even more sceptical and indifferent? Some people were hearing about the Philippines this afternoon in a, a video call and there just seemed to be so much spiritual interest and people wanting Bible studies and, and it often seems so different. Well, what about if it gets more difficult here? What about if Christians look even sillier than they look at the minute? Uh, some of us came across this book about um, being the bad guys that the Christians are now considered, not just the sort of neutral guys of society, they're now considered the bad guys, the intolerant. What happens if that gets worse and we're seen more and more as the bad guys? How are we going to cope as we go forward? Well, we don't know, but we're, we're faithful and we look to the Lord to keep us because he kept this weak church in its time of trial. And individually, you sense a time of difficulty ahead. And it's already been difficult the last few months. We go faithful. We rest in the Lord and his ability to keep us. The weak church is keeping. And then lastly, in this letter, we come to the weak church's future or the weak church's security. Like all of these letters, it it ends um, encouraging the chin up and and a a longer term view. And that's what it does here in verse 12. Jesus says through this letter, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the new the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Well, I guess this um, church uh, felt pretty delicate and, and fragile and insignificant and somewhat insecure. And we might feel like that as believers and as churches in this current culture. 
But the future ahead for faithful churches, even small struggling churches, what was the future? Well, there's two aspects. And both point to security. He says, Philadelphia and the believers there, what are they going to be? The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple. Not a sort of bamboo cane which gets blown over in the wind when it was holding your runner beans up. Not a spaghetti tower. If you had those sort of spaghetti tower competitions when you've got little bits of blue tack, is it, and spaghetti and you try and make a tower and just about gets up there as long as nobody goes anywhere near or touches it so the whole thing's falling over. Now, they're not going to be a spaghetti tower or bamboo cane. They're going to be a pillar. The temple of my God. They're going to be strong. They're going to be stable. They're going to stay there. They're going to reside there. They're going to belong there. Uh, they knew about sort of instability. It was an area of earthquakes. They'd had a, uh, a fairly big earthquake just a few years ago in AD 60. They'd had an even bigger one in AD 17. In fact, it was so big and devastated the area so much that the, the Romans gave them five years of taxes free so that they could invest money to rebuild the area. So it stayed in their minds. They were used to earthquakes. But a pillar. Strong stable, keeps going. That's your future, little weak, fragile, flimsy church. Your future is stability and belonging and security in glory. Keep going. And there's another aspect. Uh, In fact, after this period of taxes... Um, they tried to rename Philadelphia. It's a nice name, Philadelphia. I don't know if you know what it means. Philadelphia means brotherly love. It's not quite a nice name, isn't it? Anyway, they tried to rename it the New Caesarea. But it never really stuck, never really caught on. So Philadelphia, it seemed to remain. Well, Jesus says the church, though, would have a, a new name. A new name that would stick. A new name that was good. A new name that was stable and encouraging. It has the name of God on it. It would have the name of God's city on it. It would have the name of the new Jerusalem on it. That's where it belonged. That's what its future was. Sometimes we feel we don't belong, don't we? Um, I find that increasingly, I don't know whether you do, a sense of not belonging in this country. Uh, Part of it is because I'm getting older, so I'm out of touch with the changing scenes and fashions and technology and it leaves me behind. That's part of the story, but it's not the whole part of the story. The values of the country in some ways are changing in a way which is away from God's word and I feel increasingly a bit like a foreigner and I'm not at home. Maybe you find the same. We have a future, a place of belonging, a new Jerusalem, a place where God reigns. There is a future and it's secure. These verses sent me onwards to Revelation 21, which we also read. Here it talks about the new city. It talks about it coming down. So we had in verse 12, I will write on him, the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. And we read in Revelation 21 and verse 2, And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. This is your future weak, fragile, flimsy church of no power and no strength. A weak church's future. 
So this is the message of Jesus to a weak church. Is there a message for us in this? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It ends. Well, let's pause to pray personally for a a few moments before we sing our last Well, let's sing then our last song, which is on that theme of the the keeping of God. It's when I fear my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. find it especially um, appealing to see this wonderful attention of Christ to the weak church of Philadelphia and we see many parallels 
to our own situation and time. We thank you that we've been able to stop and think through it. And we pray that we might find rich encouragement from the things we thought about this evening. Encouragement to stand strong and faithful to pursue the opportunities you give to us. To recognise that you know our limitations. And to be pointed to Christ above all in his authority. And also then to be heartened by the future there is ahead of us. Bless your word to our hearts. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Amen.